This episode of A Tiny Revolution is supported by the Clumsy Bloggers Workshop. If you're a blogger or somebody who's always wanted to tell their story to impact others, this is for you. In this eight-week class, learn everything you need to know about blogging, social media, personal marketing, and a ton of awesome tricks to help you succeed. Find your voice, reach new readers, and yes, even make your blog look freaking awesome. Visit clumsybloggers.com to get started and use the promo code BEDLAM, that's B-E-D-L-A-M, for 10% off at checkout. Additional support provided by Shop Progress. Designed with queer people in mind, Shop Progress creates innovative, fresh fashion that intentionally seeks to encompass the vast array of identities within the LGBTQ community so that you can wear your story on your sleeves. Shop today at shopprogress.org and use offer code REV10, that's R-E-V-1-0, to get 10% off your first order. Shop Progress. Wear your story on your sleeves. From the Bedlam Podcast Network, this is a tiny revolution. Celebrating our everyday victories while having the conversation and telling the stories that actually matter. I'm Kevin Garcia. Hey everyone, I hope that your weekend was fantastic and I hope that your Monday is going good or whatever day you're listening to this, I hope that your day is going great. And if it's not going great, I hope that this podcast is a little bit of a pick-me-up for you. Uh, Before we jump into this week's podcast, I wanted to let you know about some cool stuff that I am involved with coming up. Should have mentioned this last week probably, but I completely blanked out, um, you know, with the whole trying to launch a podcast thing. So sorry about that. Anyways, if you're listening to this on August 8th, that means tomorrow is August 9th, Tuesday, August 9th. And if you're in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, the Reformation Project, in collaboration with Renovation Church, is putting on a seriously cool event. It's called Elevating the Dialogue. What it is is a panel of pastors with three different perspectives on LGBT inclusion in the church. One who's loving but not affirming, another who's a third way, and then finally someone who's completely affirming and inclusive. We want you to be a part of this. There's going to be Q&As, there's going to be really, really great dialogue, and it's all about moving past this rhetoric of us versus them because we're all the family of Christ and while we may disagree with each other we have to find ways to continue to do life together because we're all welcome at the table of Christ so if you are in Atlanta, Georgia tomorrow night, come to this it's on Facebook and I've also posted it on my own personal Facebook page facebook.com slash kevin.garcia um, also, there's going to be a Q&A section during this, moderated by yours truly. So if you want to send in your questions, submitting them is super simple. Use the hashtag ETD in ATL as an IN, so elevating the dialogue in Atlanta, on Twitter. And then we'll put the frequently asked questions up, or if there's just some really stinking good ones, we'll pull from that. Uh, second way you can submit your questions is by going to facebook.com slash Project and messaging us your questions there. And if you can't be there in the physical, we've got you covered in the digital. We're going to be live streaming it from the event, so just be sure to go to the Reformation Project's Facebook page, like it, and you'll be alerted when we start the live stream. Okay, I think that's enough of that. Let's jump into it, shall we? So I know I told you every week I was going to bring you a conversation with one of my friends, but unfortunately... Both myself and a bunch of my friends that I'd usually be hanging out with just didn't exactly have time to sit down and record a conversation because we, you know, have this thing called lives and jobs and didn't exactly have time to just kick it for 30 to 45 minutes to have an insightful conversation. I mean, I did have a lot of them, but I didn't have my equipment nearby and they felt a little personal to share. So I wanted to just share some of my own thoughts and I thought that 
this kind of format was a little apropos given that um, the event elevating the dialogue in Atlanta is happening tomorrow along with uh, the, the conversation I'm going to share with you later with Colby Martin. So I wrote this blog that I didn't really know where to put it or if I should publish it, but I kind of wanted to talk about this idea of leading with love and not your theology. So a couple months back, I got an open letter written to me by another blogger. And I use the term blogger very generously with this person because they don't really publish a whole lot. And, you know, they're on a subdomain and they're not really doing that. They're just kind of like your casual theobrogen, if you will. And if you're wondering what I mean by theobrogen, I would classify that as a usually white straight male who can quote John Calvin and John Piper like it's the gospel itself. And they're very systematic theology um, from an evangelical tradition. They probably have a beard and an affinity for craft beer, uh, pipes, um, and C.S. Lewis, probably. And they tend to have it all figured out. They're very much like predestination is a thing. I don't know. I, like, I, I kind of remember I used to be that way in a lot of times. So I kind of have like this grace for Theobrogens in a way that I don't have for other people. Because when I was in that space, I wasn't, I didn't believe that there was another way to think about or talk about God or faith or anything. It was like, this is the right way to believe, the quote unquote right way. Um, and everybody else is uh, backsliding or misinterpreting scripture or not really living up to their calling um, or living up to the standard of what Christ calls us to, the holiness that God calls us to. It's like, it's a very kind of punitive way of looking at scripture. It's like, I am trying my best to follow Christ rather than following Christ is just simply who I am and it flows from me. And so I got this letter written to me, and he, I, it just kind of got me thinking a lot about this idea of how oftentimes we want to think, like, we want people to be on the same page as us. We want people so badly to just, well, if you just believe the same way I do, then you're going to figure it out. I, I mean, I'll do this with myself. Like, I'll become a fundamentalist progressive, if you can believe it. Like, I am notorious for yelling at my roommate, and he'll tell you, for wanting him to get into this like higher level, like what Richard Rohr calls like a higher plane of thinking or more contemplative mind where he can just accept what's going on with, without judging it. I, I quickly become a fundamentalist of my own experiences and try to get other people to experience life and God the exact same way. So I kind of get it where this guy was coming from when he wrote me this open blog. So I wrote back to him and I... I kind of challenged him and said, hey, like, we don't even interpret scripture the same way. We don't look at the Bible the same way. So really, before we even talk about sexuality or gender identity, we have to talk about how we look at the Bible. And I think that's, I don't know how he reacted. He never commented back or wrote back or reached out. So I kind of just, I just let it lie. I didn't retweet it. I didn't post it. And I won't be posting it here. Um, but I did say one thing to him that kind of, was almost preaching to myself in a way, which was, you need to lead with love and not your theology. Because frankly, if someone doesn't know that they're loved, there's no reason to discuss anything about beliefs. If there's no relationship with an individual, there's no reason to challenge them. Because like, what, what good is it for me to debate somebody? Heidi Baker, uh, she is a, a missionary and 
she's the president of an organization called Iris International, and they, they adopt orphans all over the world. They feed thousands of children every single day and educate them and help them get back on their feet, and they see the miraculous. But anyways, Heidi Baker, um, amazing woman, lives in Africa. She had this quote from uh, a documentary called The Finger of God. She said, the thing I want to tell the Western church is that the actual miracle is love. To love well. And that really hit me deeply. The thing I want the Western church to know is that the actual miracle is love. It's not, you know, seeing people healed in the physical. It's not seeing demons driven out or seeing like the wild of God, if you will. The true miracle of the Christian life, I think, is love. To love well, to really just not give a damn about anything else. Too often, that's not true. Too often in our churches, in our own tribes, we're, we're leading with policies. We're leading with politics. We're leading with our uh, personal preferences. We're not leading with love. And the actual miracle of Jesus was that, like, hey, like, this kind of love that is in favor of the marginalized, this kind of love that's in favor of the immigrant in your land, this kind of love that is for the outcast and the one who's called dirty, for the underdog, this love can change everything. I think that's the real miracle that Jesus was trying to teach us. Yeah, I think what Heidi said is true. The true glory of the cross is love. It's the love that Jesus taught us to live. It's one free of religion and free of agenda. Honestly, I don't think Heidi takes care of all those African babies because she thinks it's fun or because she thinks she's going to get a book deal or she's going to get notoriety. Like, you know, she's living in the bush and she does it because of a love Jesus showed her. And what if our churches operated the exact same way? What if we treated each other that way? It, it's become about doctrine and theology. It's about being right or wrong. It's who is in and who is out, who is good or bad, clean or unclean, and isn't that what Jesus flipped upside down? Didn't Jesus blur all of those lines? Leading a life with love, a love that blurs those lines that divide one from another, is, I think, the epitome of what Christ showed us. It's about love. It's about being present. It's about bringing the lowest of us up to our level. It's about being free of worry and free of a need for power and possession. It's about being fully human, being fully connected to the divine in every single moment. I feel like Jesus taught us the right way of living. He like began a movement, and then his followers just started a church and ruined it by institutionalizing it. Because now we have boards and bylaws, doctrines and regulations, commentary, rhetoric, and this tribal mentality that says, I've got this all figured out. Because I think that the religion that attempts to coerce anybody into following out of fear of retribution or hell, you know, the fear of hell for that matter, that's not the religion that Jesus spoke of. That wasn't the life abundantly that he taught us about. What Jesus taught us about was always an invitation. It wasn't judgment or exclusion that attracted people. And I think that's the way so many people, so many American Christians lack this sense of I'm invited into this space. It's like, no, like, I have to be in this space to save my own skin, my own people. And they're unaware of how free they are to love because they simply are not aware of how truly loved they are. Our theology, our tribal mindset, tempts us into believing that we can control everything. Kind of like how that Theobrogen came for me and wanted to 
basically tell me, you are wrong. You're leading people astray. Like The way you think about God is completely off kilter. That kind of theology, that tribal mindset tempts us into believing that we have control of everything and everyone in our sphere of influence, but that's an illusion. We cannot force people into what we believe is best. We can only love them and let them walk on their own path. I cannot force a conservative mind into seeing my existence as a gay man or a gay Christian as valid or sacred. The only thing that I'm responsible to do in this situation is to shine my light brightly in hopes that a path towards greater acceptance is illuminated for them. And even then, that person has to choose to walk toward it. Again, Jesus never forced anyone into anything. Jesus never asked someone's stance on substitutional atonement theory or what they thought about women's rights or even about their sexuality. Jesus never asked if someone had their quiet time. And Jesus never really asked if anyone was struggling with addiction or heartache. Jesus literally said, follow me. If you want the abundant life, just just do it. Stop acting like there's a formula for this. They're simply getting up and following me. I think the greatest thing that Jesus came to teach us is, is this. Those who want love shall have it. And in my opinion, that really sin is just to keep yourself or your others from embracing that love. It's a love of God. It's a love of self. It's a love of other that goes so much deeper than what we understand. It's about feeling that ultimate divine connection. Because honestly, what, why does this all matter? If we boil it all down, all of our theology, all of our systems, what good is any of it in the grand scheme of eternity? Because everything is broken. Everybody is wounded. Despite that, what if in our woundedness we sought to be healers? What would it look like to make more room for people, room for everybody, the sick, the needy, the homeless, the queer, the people of color, the immigrant, the heartbroken, the mentally divergent, the differently abled, the losers, the non-hipsters, the uncool people, the old people, the doubters, the addicts, the sinners, because I think that's who Jesus wants. I'm pretty sure that's who Jesus loves. And my question to you is, do they know that you love them? Do they understand that Jesus is calling after them, offering that same invitation that you've accepted, either in part or in full? Does that person that you are trying to get on the right side of your theology, do they know that Jesus loves them? Do they know that you love them? Before you make sure there's their theology is right. Your duty is to serve them, is it not? You know, what a revolution it would be if we stopped setting up roadblocks to community and started setting a place at the table for everyone. We all belong here. And frankly, your churches, your churches are not going to hurt by getting a few more butts in the seat on Sunday. I think that's the thing that could be a true revolution for us. Don't you think? Lead with love, not your theology. That's my mantra right now, and I offer it to you as well. All right, well, I hope you enjoyed those thoughts of mine. And if you didn't, uh, sorry about you, I guess. Anyways, like I said at the beginning of this episode, uh, we're supported by the Clumsy Bloggers Workshop. 
If you're a blogger or somebody who's always wanted to tell their story to impact others, this is a workshop for you. It's an eight-week online e-course, and you're going to learn everything from blogging to social media, personal marketing, and you're also going to get a ton of awesome tricks to help you succeed as a blogger. You'll find your voice, reach new readers, and yes, you can even make your blog look freaking awesome. If you go to clumsybloggers.com today and use the promo code BEDLAM, B-E-D-L-A-M, you'll get 10% off at checkout. And on a personal note, this workshop was created by my friend Micah J. Murray. He is so good at what he does, to say the very least. He's someone who I look up to personally. I've learned a lot from him as far as marketing, blogging, online presence, crap, all that good stuff. All the things that you have questions about, he will answer it. So this is my personal endorsement of Micah J. Murray for your blog coach. So yeah, if you want to get started on blogging, go to clumsybloggers.com. Use the promo code Bedlam, get 10% off, get your blog up, tell your story, it's good stuff. Aight, good. Alright, now we're jumping into my conversation with Colby Martin. Colby is the co-pastor of Sojourn Grace Collective, a progressive Christian church in the heart of San Diego, California. Spiritually speaking, he believes the way of Jesus to be the best way to live life, and religiously speaking, he tends to reject labels, tending to find his home around more progressive thinkers who reject what the Christian tradition has handed us over the past few centuries. In addition to having seriously incredible hair, the man has a freaking gorgeous family with his wife, Katie, and his four sons, which, law, talk about a handful. I mean, I grew up the third of four sons, and so I know how fun it can be. I also know what a hot mess it can be at times. So good on you, Colby and Katie, for raising four sons. That is quite a task. In a few months, Colby's releasing his first book. It's called Unclobber colon rethinking our misuse of the bible on homosexuality and it weaves together both his narrative and also tackling the six big clobber verses as they're called in the bible and how the church has misused them hence the title in this conversation we talk about the book we talk about his church we talk about um what people can do to be more inclusive in spaces and a bit about his own story which i think you're going to find fantastic so let's get into it this is my conversation with colby martin There's a small chance in 10 minutes I'm going to get kicked out of this room I'm in. <laughs> that's, that's totally so, acceptable because that's why we edit everything in post. Or we post the whole thing so everyone can feel how awkward all of it is. That's my favorite thing. Oh, same. <laughs> so um, Watching other people's awkwardness is fantastic. It really is. I feel like if we could just own a little bit more of it, like yeah. we'd all feel like 10 times less self-conscious, you know? Yeah. I'd even take two times less self-conscious. Or even like a modicum less self-conscious. Just a little bit more secure and I would be good. Yeah. Yeah, that's what we told ourselves a long time ago, right? If we were just a little bit more secure, we'd be okay. Then we'd be okay. Which in turn just makes us more insecure that we're not more right. secure. It's right. a perpetual shame spiral. Yeah, look at that. We're just you know, solving all the world's problems with Colby and Kevin. Some deep shit. You're recording this, right? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Well, that's going to change the world right there. Absolutely. I've said this a couple times to a couple different people, slash gone on plenty of Twitter rants about this, how <laughs> we don't need more pastors to talk about how, oh, we love our LGBT brothers and sisters, but then they do nothing about it or nothing to actually stand in solidarity with them, which is why I've really enjoyed your story is that like, you, mm. you lost your, your ministry over this, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There was a point when I realized that I was 
way out of alignment with my internal convictions, mm. like the things that I, I was beginning to believe or no longer believed, whatever it was, internal convictions with my external reality, the world in which I was operating in, the roles I was playing, the community that I was uh, in the midst of, my job, my vocational position. There was a, a mass uh, misalignment there uh, so that my internal self um, was very different from my external self. Mm. Uh, and this is a definition of integrity that is relatively new to me. You know, I, was, I always just saw integrity as, you know, what, what do you do when no one's watching? That sort of right, uh, yeah. definition, which is great and all. But this was like, no, are you, are you integrated, your insides and your outsides? And so yeah. there was a moment when I was in the middle of this ministry at this um, uh, large evangelical church in Arizona where I realized I was so far out of alignment mm-hmm. uh, that I did not, I didn't recognize my outside self. Uh, and I was super curious who my inside self like was beyond just sort of the thoughts in my head and feelings in my heart. So that for me was um, a sign that I really had to start paying attention to that voice inside my soul, which was you need to find alignment. Like abundant life is on the other side of this out of alignment ness. Uh, this is not the life that is. I've been designed and created for you. But it scared the hell out of me because I'm in the middle of a, a church context where it was not safe to like do the, like do this, uh, to expose um, my inner self. Mm. It just wasn't safe. It was, uh, it was a very highly charged uh, conservative political climate. Um, so even talking about what I thought were pretty innocuous things like gun control uh, would turn instantly scary uh, real fast. So yeah. Then to talk about some of the deeper theological shifts that were going on inside of me, I just there was no space uh, for that. And so I was already journeying left of center, if you will, by the time I got the job in Arizona. And uh, yeah, after five years there, helping this church grow from 200 to 1,500 Um, and really doing some really cool things. Uh, you know, I would never paint the picture that those five years were five years of suffering (laughs) or, or, um, or negativity. Uh, but with each passing year, the farther I was changing inside and couldn't do anything about that on the outside, the more I was feeling unsettled and unsafe. And, um, I really was meant for more, uh, you know, came to an explosion. I liken it to when you blow up a balloon mm-hmm. and the first 95% of the balloon expands pretty easily. And then you get to that last moment where you're like, I could probably do one or two more like blows into this thing mm-hmm. and maybe it won't explode on me or maybe, well, I don't know, but it's like resisting me. And I felt like my insides were just constantly expanding. And I was at the point where it's, this thing's going to blow on me or I've got to do something about it. I don't like, and so, such good, <laughs> yeah, such a good visualization. Uh, yeah, so thanks. So, going. yeah, no, it's good. It's good. Uh, so, don't ask, don't tell was the was the final thing for me. So, the military ban, yeah, against gays and lesbians, um, was repealed September twentieth, two thousand eleven. Very precise and, date. <laughs> well, I remember this date well because uh, that night before I went to bed, I posted an article on my Facebook page that said, "Glad this day finally came." 
And for me at the time, keep in mind, I had shifted theologically to a place of open and affirming, uh, expansive faith. But I hadn't told anybody outside my wife. And even me posting that I was glad that Don't Ask, Don't Tell was repealed wasn't an act for me of like declaring I'm now pro-homosexuality you know, or, or advancing the gay agenda. It was just an issue of discrimination for me. So it was like regardless right. of how you felt about like sexuality and faith, telling men and women that they, we'd love for you to die for us, but please like don't say anything about who you like to hold hands with. For me, I just felt it was just wrong. It's so wrong. So I'm glad this day finally came. I went to bed. I woke up the next morning and my Facebook feed was just littered with uh, vitriol from people in my church of how can a pastor be pro homosexuality? Why are you actively advancing the gay agenda? Um, what's there to be glad about? And wow. I'm like, holy shit. I wasn't entirely I don't know. I don't know if I was surprised by it or not. I think the level of intensity I was surprised by. I didn't realize how divisive um, this was. Yeah, I was kind of naive at the party. Point. Man, I guess it turns out, yeah. <laughs> and so I get to the office that day, and my pastor um, tells me about all of the calls and emails that he got all night and all morning long. Uh, with people just totally freaking out about this. He asked me if I'd take it down to kind of like uh, help you know, squash the thing. Yeah. So I took the post off and I kind of thought that'd be the end of it. Uh, but then I get a call that night from one of the elders Oof. who wanted to, uh, yeah, right. That's not good. Like once you uh, get like the elders are getting involved, it's like, all oh, right, well, this I tell is going to be something. And he tells me that they had called an emergency board meeting for Friday morning, uh, to deal with the situation. So when to you deal move with from the situation, <laughs> when you go from being a pastor to a situation, this is not a good thing, Kevin. <laughs> Thing. No, and like I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm familiar with becoming a situation. A situation. Uh, I knew that they would ask me to give sort of an account for my theology on sexuality. So I ended up putting together a 10 page letter uh, to read because I knew just in the moment butterflies and anxiety and I probably wouldn't say everything I would want to say. So I put together this big ass letter um, to prepare to read it the next morning. And uh, so sure enough, I get invited to this room of, of, of eight men, obviously just men, because it was a good conservative evangelical church. Course, so there's no, there's no women elders. Absolutely not. And, uh, that was a little more jaded than I meant. I didn't mean that. Was just, <laughs> but, um, and I sit down and so I'm asked to give an account for something to, uh, these eight men that I haven't really even told most of my family and friends, which was basically, what do you think about sexuality? Is, yeah. is homosexuality a sin? Like that's the question that seems to matter to people. Which, as I talk about in the book, I think is a, an absurd question for all sorts of reasons. But, um, but yeah, so in that room, I said to them that uh, I do not think the Bible condemns people who are born with same-sex attraction. I do not think God just blanket um, uh, condemns same-sex relationships. I don't. I, I would be in favor of uh, two people of the same sex getting married. So it just came came all the way out of the theological closet. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it, yeah, it freaked him out. And they said, you know what? Why don't you not lead worship on Sunday? We'll find someone else. Um, and little did I know at the time that, like, that was it. That meant I didn't see the church again, right? Um, so I stayed home Sunday morning and came back in Tuesday for a meeting that I thought was going to be to talk about a plan for how to move forward. Uh, but instead, I show up and I get a letter of termination. 
And so I guess in some ways I was a little bit more aligned. Okay. So my external reality was at least reflecting my internal reality, but it was painful. It was, it's as though the words of Jesus, when he said he who wants to find his life first must lose it. It's almost like he knew what he was talking about. I felt the same exact way because shortly after that, I left for Virginia, like a year later, I come out. And when I came out, it was like the radio silence of, Everyone is just like, everyone who proclaimed at one point, oh my gosh, I love you so much. Your giftings are so good. They're so of God. And then all of a sudden, you become the heretic. Yeah. And uh, someone who, or a backslider, or. Backslider, absolutely. It's my favorite one. Backslider. It's on my business card, actually. (laughs) Why the hell is that hashtag not trending all the time? Yeah. I mean, and also, that's not the end of your story, too, like, which I, like, think is brilliant because you Mm -hmm. then, it's like, you know what, we're just going to go do this other thing uh first we came out to san diego um to join another church Hmm. um and this was the first church that we had come in contact with where we saw this vision of what a community could be like where you're um orienting around the life death uh teaching and resurrection of jesus but in a progressive way Hmm. and so but with guitars and drums. So it's not like for a while I thought maybe I have to be Episcopal priest so that I can fully be aligned, integrated, internal, external self. But you know, the way that the Episcopals do church just doesn't necessarily connect with me. Uh, but this church that brought us out, um, it did. And it gave us this sort of vision for, well, this can exist in the world. Um, and we were there for about 20 months and, you know, at the end of it, it just, was not a good place for us mm. for for a number of different reasons. There was just com- competing ideas of what it meant to kind of be a pastor and to shepherd people. And, right. um, yeah, it just wasn't, you know, it just wasn't a, a great place yeah. for us. Uh, so they let me go as well. And, but it oh, was, so you, of, were you working at this church? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was uh. on staff. Was their, I was their worship uh, leader um, with the plan to transition into being the teaching pastor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that just never never happened. But, but during our time there, Kevin, here's what I love. During our time there was when my wife, Kate, and I finally got to um, open ourselves up to people mm-hmm. and begin to live a life on the outside that reflected who we were on the inside, mm-hmm. which which gave us the opportunity to truly connect with people because you can only connect with someone when you make yourself known to Mm -hmm. them. And in Arizona, we really never made ourselves known to people. And so our, so we started to develop friendships, like like real meaningful friendships, which I didn't realize I didn't have it. You know, it's like, you don't know. I didn't know I didn't have it until I started to have the real thing. I'm like, Oh my God, I've just had counterfeit friendships my entire life. This is the real deal where you make yourself known to someone and they make themselves known to you. And, uh, Oh, it's beautiful. So during our our time at the, the church, we started to build this incredible community and friendships so that when that church said goodbye to me, um, this community came around Kate and I about 12, 15 people and said, um, we still believe in this thing that you're chasing after this vision of what a progressive faith community could look like. We can't do it at that church anymore, but if you'll stay in San Diego, like we'll help support you to start something here. 
And Kate and Kate and I had wanted to do church planning for years. Like back yeah. in Arizona, we had just sort of kept a journal of what would it look like someday. So this was always on our in the back of our mind. And um, as it turns out, we loved San Diego. Um, we loved raising our boys here with a diverse culture, mm-hmm. uh, and we loved these people. We loved these people, and right. we didn't believe them. So when they said they would help support us, we said, "Okay, let's do it." And so we started meeting in our living room. Um, first Sunday, there was like 20 people that showed up. And uh, for the next three months, that slowly grew to about 50. And uh, so we found a, a, a grade school that would rent out one of the rooms to us. And we've been meeting there for about the last two years. And, and uh, it is a beautiful, diverse, um, honest group of spiritual seekers, <laughs> people who are just trying to figure out what does a meaningful life look like? What does it look like to love ourselves in a healthy way? Uh, what does it look like to truly embrace the other? What does it look like uh, to chase after justice and mercy and grace for all people? I know a lot of pastors and lay people who, like, they'll be friends with me or they'll be friends with other queer individuals. And it's just like, oh, well, like, you know, and, and we'll have, like, really good, rich friendships. But it's like this, there's a difference between being supportive and being, like, an outright ally to this community and to, like, the spiritual other. So, I mean, what, like, for the person who's, like, kind of just, like, sort of, like, sitting on the sidelines of the game, like not knowing like how to get in there like or are too afraid to actually like make the jump into like really saying what you think about on the inside like what's 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 like what's like one thing you would want to say to them or two it's not what i would say it's what i do say because i I, as i'm sure you do as well just interact with individuals like that a lot who um are in those environments yeah where they can't they can't vocalize necessarily what they think and feel. And I, and all I can say to them is, is the story that I myself have experienced, which is there is a type of life, uh, where you might be filled up with all sorts of things. Uh, as my wife talks about, there's two cups, there's the life cup and the heart cup and your life cup might be filled up with good job, good family, uh, whatever it is. You just, you have a lot of things going on, but your heart cup could still really be empty. Mm. Um, and the, the converse is true of course as well. And you have mission experience. So, you know, you have people whose life cup is bone dry, but their soul cup or their heart cup is overflowing. And so what I say to people is I spent so many years with a really full life cup and didn't realize that my heart cup um, was pretty stagnant. Didn't re- stagnant is not the right word. That it was uh, thirsty. That it was that where I thought it was full, it was like shot glass full. When in reality, there was like a whole damn like German lager pint size mug of life waiting to be filled up, mm. and I had this little drop in the bottom. And what I realized is once I began to find alignment, and once I got out of an, of the place of fear of being able to express who I was and what I thought and doubts and fears and all those things and began to be honest with myself and love myself in that way, then this heart cup just started to fill. And it, and, and then 
as I said, I began to make friends and that filled the heart cup even more. And so the life cup kind of ebbed and flowed. I lost the job, lost the house, lost the ministry. That sort of, you know, dissipated, but the heart cup began to just fill up. So I tell people that you're describing, I say, look, there's a type of life that you're living right now, um, which you might find some fulfillment in, but I can nearly guarantee you that on the other side of your fear, there is abundance and flourishing and a type of thriving um, that you that you can't even begin to taste right now. Um, but it's scary as hell, and I get it. And that's the thing is I guess all I can say is I get it because I lived it, and yeah. I know it, and it's scary, and it's hard. Yeah. Um, but... So that's the you said I could say two things. So that'd be the first thing I would say. It's just <laughs> you can say as many the, things as you need. It's to just point to the type of life on the other side of fear. Uh, and then the second thing I would say is, uh, damn it, we need you out here. Come on, say like it again. I am just so um, I'm frustrated. I don't know if that's the best word, but I am frustrated uh, with Christians who on the inside might be open and affirming, but are, are not ready to make some, some sort of public declaration on it. And I get that they might be in a space where they're shepherding people and their potential to shepherd those people might disappear. And so their heart, their really good intentions and heart for those people are keeping them sort of locked in this place. But the fricking like there are so many other hurting and wounded and scared and, uh, sheep out there that need shepherding, that need yeah. love, that need pastoral care. And, uh, and so we need you here. We need you in the game. We need you in this, um, pursuit of liberation for all people. And, uh, I guess I guess there's enough there's enough already shepherds for the other people like they'll find some other shepherds hey, <laughs> you know um, but we need you right here so just yeah. come out come out of the theological closet and join us and uh, it's scary as hell but it's uh, it's so life giving yeah I mean I go as far as to say like you know until until pastors like progressive like pastors who are either secretly progressive or secretly affirming or secretly whatever while you're still living it's until you get all those skeletons out of the closet, you know, until you're, if you're still living in secret, you're not living fully. No. And that's the thing that's so frustrating to me because like, I know like talking about, you know, aligning your internal with your external, like me coming out, I have done more ministry mm-hmm. as an openly gay man than I ever mm-hmm. did as a, you know, toe the party line, Absolutely. you know, lay person. Yeah. Or even being a missionary. Like, granted, yeah. yeah, I went to Nepal and I built schools. And, yes, I helped clothe people and feed people. And that was good work. Mm-hmm. But just, like, my call is in – my call is now in line yep. with my life. Or, like, I, yep. my life is in line with my call, rather. Yep, yep, yep. And it just – you know, people are dying. Yep. People are straight up dying because they think that God doesn't love them. Yep. That's the, yep. the bottom line. Yep. And if people can, if people can catch that – vision of just like, Hey, like maybe there's a different way to think about this. Yep. St. Francis of Assisi said, uh, my favorite (laughs) preaching the gospel is, is useless unless you are the gospel. Mm. And so the gospel for me is the good news that you are a loved child of God, that you are loved. Like that is your true, that is the truest thing about you. Like that is the good news. And if you're not living that, if you're not the good news, 
Uh, if you're not living into the fullness of being a child of God, which means you are sort of open about who you are on the inside, scary as that might be, if you're not living into that connected, integrated, whole, flourishing life, I'm not saying this isn't like this isn't evangelical purity. I'm not talking about sin avoidance. I don't really care yeah, about that. This is a, this is the type of like abundant, flourishing, integrated, whole, connected living, the good news type of living. If you are not that, then preaching it is useless. Absolutely. And so a lot of people are preaching good news, but they themselves are not the good news. And so that's why you experience it and I experience mm-hmm. it when people see this um, this connectedness to ourselves and this connectedness to the divine and ourselves and others. Uh, yeah, that's real attractive. That's real so compelling. Attractive. So, yeah. You want to be friends? Uh, yes, I accept. Fantastic. Now you're stuck. Um, <laughs> don't know. Oh, Facebook poking is still a thing and I am not happy about it. That was my conversation with Colby Martin. You can find him at colbymartinonline.com and on the Twitterverse and Instajams at Colby Martin. Once again, his book, Unclobber, hits stores September 28th, and you can find out more about that at unclobber.com. And if you sign up for his mailing list, you can get the first chapter for free. Again, visit unclobber.com to get that. Before I go, I want to let you know that this podcast is made possible by the sponsorships that I'm getting through the Bedlam Podcast Network and my patrons on Patreon. You guys are so awesome. It's only been one week and there's already been a fantastic response. So if you want to support the creation of these podcasts or any of the other content I create, like my blogs or my webinars, go to thekevingarcia.com support and you can learn how. There's some great perks that come with becoming a supporter and patron, like full unedited interviews with my podcast guests t-shirts from shopprogress.org, a badass newsletter, and so much more goodness. So why aren't you doing that? Again, go to thekevingarcia.com, click on support, and learn how you can become a patron through Patreon. And if you can't give financially, because I know we're all a little strapped these days, you can still help. Go over to the iTunes store and leave a review for me, preferably something favorable, because it seriously helps out with circulation, getting more people hearing the stories that we're telling here, and getting this community connected, because that's what it's about, right? Uh, I think that's everything. Come to Elevating the Dialogue in Atlanta. Um, go subscribe to my blog at thekevingarcia.com, slash subscribe, and get yourself an ebook. All right, I'm done talking. Y'all, it's been fun. It's been real. It's been real fun. I hope you loved it, and I hope that you know that you're loved. Till next week, this is a tiny revolution. I'm Kevin Garcia, and I will talk to you later. Bye. A Tiny Revolution is a part of the Bedlam Podcast Network, a collective of creatives sounding off on things that matter. For more information on what we do and how to advertise on the Bedlam Podcast Network, go to bedlampodcast.com. And be sure to look out for our newest podcast, Too Real with Cope, as well as some other really fantastic stuff coming up be soon. Woo-hoo. Some deep shit. You're recording this, right?